and welcome back to the Good PR Podcast. I am your host, Simbungile Ndlangisa, and I'm so excited to be back with another episode um, of the Good PR Podcast. I think I said the Good PR Podcast twice in very quick succession there, Um, but you you get the gist of what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm not going to make this intro very long. Um, because I want us to get into this chat that we had with two amazing South African journalists who give us a very interesting perspective on the relationship between PR professionals and media, uh, which is the category that they fall into. Um, I just felt like we don't often get this perspective and I'm so keen for you guys to hear this conversation. So let's get into it. Afika Chatezweni is the head of fashion and beauty at Woman24, South Africa's biggest online women interest publication. She was previously the features writer at Mary Claire South Africa, where she had started out as the online content producer for the magazine. Afika has a degree in journalism and media studies and completed a fashion styling course at the Design Academy of Fashion. Kay Tatiana Silisho is an analog girl navigating a digital world using the perspective provided by news. She has always had a desire to amass a wealth of knowledge on a range of varied topics, and this is reflected in the content she produces. This also comes across in the countless pieces of work she has produced over the span of a decade-long career as a journalist and now content creator. As a digitally adept social media user, you can always trust Kate to bring you up to speed on what's going on in the world at any given time. Okay, cool. So my first question um, is, I would like to know um, sort of how PR agencies and practitioners are currently engaging with you in your work. and would you say it's changed over the years and how? Um, Afika, you can go first. Um, I don't expect to go first. Um, uh, has it changed over the years? Um, oh my goodness. I need a moment to think about this, actually. Okay, Kay, do you um, want to go? Do you have something on deck? Um, well, when I first got into the industry it was a lot of stalking on my part as a junior because I had to figure out who was working with which brands what type of PR they specialized in whether it be music or or working for a brand it was like a lot of stalking and introducing myself to people and when I first started for me it felt like the industry was dominated by a lot more older practitioners so it personally I felt like they were very dismissive of me until they started seeing my work and seeing that it could result in them actually getting publicity for their clients and that's when they started taking me seriously mm-hmm. sending me more things and, and communicating with me just outside of work mm-hmm. um, when it first began it was a lot of formal communication but as the world has changed whatsapp now happens and it's 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 texts here and there and not just in, in the capacity of speaking about work, you know, it, it does become more informal chats where we get to know each other, mm. but that also opens itself up to people crossing boundaries and like texting you at odd hours. Um, 
texting you in like a very unprofessional tone sometimes that can be quite off-putting and I don't know how other people deal with that but I'm able to draw those boundaries because I at least have someone that I answer to um, that I can now divert PR practitioners to if they're unhappy with the way I've conducted myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I, I'm on the same page as my employer. So if, if a PR practitioner is not happy with my response, it's not like they're going to get me in trouble by going over my head, which some of them have tried to do in the past. How did that go? That doesn't sound cool at all. That's very I mean, it doesn't sound cool and it definitely isn't. But like I said, it's one of those things where I'm on the same page as my employer. So if you have an event, I will go to it and do my part. I'll do my job. But when I put together a piece, my editor at the end of the day can decide that she doesn't want to use it. And if she doesn't use it, the buck stops with her. Mm-hmm. And this one PR practitioner basically went to my boss and she's just like, I hosted K and she like didn't give me coverage. And my employer was like, well, I know I, I saw the piece and I felt like it wasn't useful. So I'm the one who scrapped it. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like a weird, like, Oh, type of thing. And in her instance, I understand why she did that because she was under pressure from the client. But now as an independent PR practitioner, she's ruined the relationship with me mm-hmm. in her independent practice where she relies wholeheartedly on, on getting her clients the coverage they need. And now she's gone above my head to my boss and then given that impression to my boss about the kind of person she is. So it's not like she can now bypass me to try and get coverage in our publication because she's kind of ruined her reputation in that instance. Heavy days. Um, Afika, have you thought of something? Yes, I have. So what I was trying to do was gather my thoughts in terms of um, <laughs> in, in terms of the difference between print and digital, because I have a background in print as well. So when I started in um, digital, that's where I started. Um, same story as Kate, that they like um, a lot of PR practitioners were like, you know, neither here nor there um, about, you know, sort of expecting coverage from me or mm-hmm. sort of like me press packs to sort of give me awareness about any new products, campaigns, etc. Until I actually got to know a few PR practitioners socially, and then they realized the work I do, the publication I'm with, and then they latched on. And then that's how I got quite a few um, PR practitioners to even stick with me as I moved from publication to publication. Mm. Um, so me uh, found knowing PR practitioners via social media or through just because, you know, I studied with people and a lot of the people who studied journalism actually ended up in PR. So it's also that having the people from the same alma mater as you just all being in the industry. So sometimes it's a matter of saying, oh, I know so-and-so, their client is that brand. So let me link you up with that person or I've linked up with them because I'm very interested in covering that story for that brand. Um, so it's been that, um, but in print, they somehow just like, they just found you. I think it's also because of the magazine now that's um, Marie Claire, um, like a legacy publication. So I think that way they just found you and they latch onto you just because of the nature on, of the publication. Um, so it's also important to not think it's about you, to know exactly that 
um, you know, what the purpose here is for. But then back with digital now, I've managed to maintain those relationships and they're working very well. But my problem is the boundaries, like Kay mentioned as well. It's, oh my gosh, there, there, yeah, there are no boundaries sometimes. And also for me, it's also that allowing for a lag in communication. It's normal to have a lag in communication. Like, so email me on Monday. There are seven, eight other PR practitioners who have emailed me. I'm also trying to visualize a story around what I'm interested in because I'm not going to be interested in every single thing I receive. To see, am I interested in this? Does it fit our brand principles as a publication? Does my manager actually think it's worth covering this for our publication? Is it even going to work for us? Does it work in our favor as much as it works for the brand's favor? And so, I mean, I can't just respond immediately as emails come in. And I find some PR people get very impatient. I understand they have pressure from clients, but I'm also like, do you understand also as, as, as publications, we also do, especially a digital one that's so fast paced, we also have to chase newsy stuff. So something that's evergreen where you're telling me um, your this fragrance is perfect for spring, a fragrance is going to be perfect throughout the year. I can get to that email two weeks from now and it's still going to give your fragrance coverage rather than me now having to, for example, if I was writing something around the clicks issue, you would have to allow that today I've dedicated my day to that. And you can't expect mm -hmm. me to have a response to email about fragrance today. Um, so it's things like that, just understanding the process of a digital publication where things are evergreen. You need to understand that your things can be evergreen. And as much as you're saying that you're dropping this campaign um, from the 10th of September, people are still going to be able to purchase your champagne on the 30th of September. Right. So it's still off then that's the thing with me that I always try to rationalize and I try to be as polite as possible in explaining that and that a digital publication is chasing the now and as much as we have value in terms of covering the evergreen um because we don't want to be behind a story we need to be in front of it leading the conversation on it mm -hmm. and just the whatsapp thing oh wow mm -hmm. um the Instagram DMs. It's like, hey, babe, just checking if you got the email. I'm like, it's 9 p.m. Like, it's 9 p.m. I'm no longer on my work emails now, you know. I'm on my Instagram posting my supper or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's those boundaries and getting WhatsApps at odd hours. Also, when I was on leave recently as well, I was just getting WhatsApps from, like, PR practitioners and they call you on your personal cell phone. And I'm like you know, understand that my out-of-office email was set and you're WhatsApping me now because you saw that my out-of-office was set, but you yeah. just want a response right now. So that's my thing, setting those boundaries. How do you, I don't know, how do you, how do you do that sort of in a, in a polite way? I think, um, you know, in my experience, um, I've, also, I've worked at agency and then I obviously now work for myself. Um, and I think I have the, I've been lucky in that sort of, I had a blog before, so I used to be on the receiving end of PR. So like all those frustrations and the boundary things, I kind of took that with me when I started working at an agency and I used to be like, well, it wouldn't make sense. Obviously all these things that you guys are mentioning, I'm just like, it wouldn't make sense to sort of take someone after hours and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I've always taken that with me, but how do you then deal with that? Like, what, what do you say to sort of 
be polite at the but at the same time like you know i i'm sure some scenarios require you to be sort of a little harsher um so luckily for me and i i should have known that i'd end up in 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 journalism because i've always been obsessed with language and words so over and above being able to be a writer i'm like a nerd for words i want to use a word exactly how it means and for that reason <laughs> even in high school my friends used to get me to draft their like messages to boys or their apologies oh. to people because it felt like i knew how to say what needed to be said without it being lost in translation or without it coming across um a certain way mm-hmm. so i mean you have the things you really want to say to people but to keep it professional I for one am able to 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 just let people know that this is not appreciated but also just let them know that this is not a fight like I'm drawing the boundary but I'm not fighting with you. Right. Um I recently as recently as 2 days ago had to send a message out to a, a PR practitioner to say I appreciate you sending this to me but I wasn't at the event and didn't experience it for myself right. so I unfortunately cannot make use of this because to just publish the release as is it's honestly not what this organization does if you'd like to speak to my editor you're kindly welcome to but we just don't republish press releases mm-hmm. um if you'd like me to interview the person that this campaign is about we can definitely do that but i'm not giving the event coverage and i was able to say that and in a more passive aggressive less mature way If you text me at 9 p.m. Uh, even if I'm online I'm not going to answer you. I will answer you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. when my workday starts and any communication sent within the hours I'm contracted to work you're definitely entitled to speak to me but anything after 5 and I also do take that approach with work unless it's urgent if you send me a message outside of work hours you'll get a response during work hours. That's currently how I'm navigating this in terms of my relationships with PR practitioners and learning not to be rude because i do i do respect the relationships and feel like they need to be maintained but there also needs to be respect 100% yeah um so just um i feel like you mentioned sort of um how you meet a lot of people that work in pr now um through your alma mater um um i've always been interested to know i didn't study pr myself but i did study media studies right and throughout the degree it was never mentioned um the relationship between pr and sort of publishing um and i would, I would i'm so interested to know if that was sort of ever brought up in in your guys' studies you know that there's this heavily sort of reliance co rely i don't know if that's a word um a, a relationship that relies on the other for one on the one side for content and then on the other side for coverage but i mean i i guess from a a journalistic perspective you guys get news from all sorts of places it's not just pr whereas with pr it's like you only get coverage from sort of one place you know um so yeah so was that ever mentioned while you guys were studying and like how deep did it go So um I'll definitely say the the lack of um you know covering that in our syllabus I'll always say is one of the major flaws of uh, our media studies um degree mm-hmm. and the way it's set up because it never ever um mentioned that 
journalism um, has such, well, lifestyle journalism especially, has yeah. such a heavy reliance on public relations. There were, it wasn't even a semester course. It's never brought up because I think in the way that um, my journalism school was very traditional and mm -hmm. it was very easy. So what they wanted to feed their graduates into, what they still want to, I believe, want to feed their graduates into is to a newsroom, hard news, investigative journalism, um, and that sort of thing. There isn't even actually talk of lifestyle journalism in our um, syllabus um, at Rhodes. So there was never any mention of that. It's something you sort of pick up as an intern and you realize, oh, okay, this is a very important part of the work that you do. Mm -hmm. And it's quite commendable for the graduates from my journalism school who actually venture into public relations because um, they that's also something they've picked up from working or it's either after they studied, they took an extra course or a certificate in it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a pity that it's not something that's part of any sort of semester course or anything. It's not mentioned anywhere. We're just told that you find a story by, you talk to people or news breaks, um, or you just have to investigate something or something has to be a passion project and then you pursue it as a documentary because I specialize in TV. So it's also that sort of thing where it's like, you know, you must, you must dig. Um, so I think for me, I still practice that part of the, um, that aspect in, t in terms of the digging. So I'll be on my Instagram and I'll be actively looking to see what's the next story, what's the next frontier and beauty, what's happening. Then I dig that out. And I'll, at most of the time, actually, I will reach out to a public relations um, company for a brand and I'll be like, do you have anything for me on this? Is there someone I can interview on this that just broke, for example, when they announced that Megan the Stallion was the new face of Revlon. Revlon had not said anything to me, but because I knew what's happening out there, just in terms of following the celebrity Megan, mm -hmm. I then reached out to Revlon and I was like, can I please have more information on this? I'd like to cover the story. So I find that a lot of PR practitioners do also appreciate that. When you've done your your end, and you're like, actually, can I have more info on this? I would like, I would like to cover this. I think there's value in speaking about this or interviewing the face of this brand. I saw it on their page. Do you have any more info for me? Um, so yeah, I think then I think there's value then in terms of having a journalism degree, and that you still have the knack to pick up a story and to pick a different angle of it and to pursue it. Okay, is it that? Is that was that the same for you? Yeah, exactly everything that Afika just said. Um, but this becomes unfortunate in the fact that we're not taught these things, and we are not like like there's literally no emphasis on other types of journalism apart from news when you're learning journalism. Mm -hmm. um, everything else you learn, you learn through practicals and being on the job and basically applying your mind. But that's now what separates some of us from the others, mm -hmm. which is both a fortunate and unfortunate thing. Um, being the one who is able to think about these things and do the work, like you've heard from both Afika and myself, part of the job is a lot of stalking. Stalking mm -hmm. celebrities, stalking stories, finding out who's doing what PR for what and building those relationships. This is not something I was personally taught. I'm not sure about Afika. It's just something we picked up along the way that we had to learn to do that many other journalists don't figure out that they need to do 
um, along the way. And then they end up in these frustrating positions in their jobs because this idea is not coming to them. Um, and what I do believe is as much as it's a lot of work, educators from now on should find some type of way to introduce journalism students to other students in disciplines that they might have to work together with mm. you, you know we're basically as journalists journalism students just taught you have to build your contact book beyond that they do not tell you how you're expected to figure out on your own how to get clerks from the court on your books how to get policemen on your books to tell you when things are happening um, how to find PR practitioners to tell you when things are happening and how to get the contact details of politicians. Nobody held my hand. Nobody showed me how to do that. And I do believe that there should be some kind of indication to journalism students that this is something you're going to need to do in future. Um, and just slightly deviating from our conversation, I belong to a lot of online journalism groups, especially on Facebook, where you see these kids come out of school with like a journalism degree and literally their only mindset is a tunnel vision on becoming a news practitioner when jobs are so limited right. and you just want to let these kids know that there's this whole other life you could even go into PR you could go into lifestyle reporting like you don't just have to report on news and when you go into this these are among some of the people you need to get to know because not every journalism student goes into journalism so you have at least these people in your alma mater that deviate from their career path slightly, but are still involved in your career path in such a way that these relationships can now become beneficial to you. 100%. Um, and I like that you mentioned building um, a contact book. And, you know, just in line with that, I wanted to find out, you know, with this... Um, I would, it, it's, it's a bit recent, but in the last couple of years, a lot of sort of editors and writers um, from different publications, especially um, in the lifestyle sector, have, you know, these sort of social media profiles where they're bordering on influencers themselves. Have you guys felt that you've needed to sort of build social personalities online um, to, I don't know, either get better stories or to sort of uh, be on the radar uh, for different, pub um, different publicists um, and brands? Um, yeah, I would love to hear your perspective on that. Um, I found that it's helpful to have a public persona and to create a digital footprint for yourself outside of your publication, um, not necessarily for any um, purposes of personal glory, but to actually be a trusted practitioner in your space. Um, some people would much rather approach the person of the publication than the publication itself. So someone would much rather DM you as a writer, then DM the publication saying, this is my story, ABC. Mm -hmm. um, rather message you on LinkedIn to say, I want you to write about this. I've seen your work and I think you would be best for to write about this. So it helps in that because in the, in the same breath, it still benefits your publication in the greater scheme of things. Um, so I found that it's very important to have that digital footprint, to be your own brand on your personal social media, not rely on saying, I work for ABC publication and to say, to be able to give your name first and then people attach the value thereafter to your publication. 
Um, so yeah, for me, I, I mean, I'm on a Twitter hiatus now, but I feel that the reason that I will have to go back is for work purposes to still be able to put my story out when it's live and to be able to still um, be able to tag a brand to say, I interviewed so-and-so for this Netflix movies to be able to still maintain that digital relationship as a writer myself and not just to have my publication saying we spoke to so-and-so from the latest Netflix movie, for example. Um, so I find that it's still very important to have that. Um, to be trusted outside of your publication goes a very long way. Um, not necessarily to be an influencer or anything, because I know a lot of people do toe, I mean, sorry, do straddle the line. Um, and it works for some people. Um, some publications actually encourage that, that each of their staff, their writers, be influences beyond the publication. Um, but I think you there's more credibility and just being a brand and just being a credible person just online, um, just as a person, not necessarily to say I'm a beauty influencer, but to just say, I specialize in beauty in my work and my writing and my journalism. Um, so then people can trust you. So even when I do get press packs, I do post them on my personal um, Instagram stories so that brands are also aware of what I can do in my personal capacity to know that they can trust me enough that I do give them that visibility. And then they further gain that visibility in my writing and my articles, which has way more traction than what my personal socials can do. I totally get that. Kay, is it the same for you as well? Um, it's the same, but slightly different because I've had a very interesting personal experience with this. Um, and, and that's because I, some years back, I'm trying to figure out my career path and my place in the world. Instead of just focusing on being a journalist, I decided to position myself as a content creator. Um, so I figured that the best way for me to do that, and since we live on the internet, instead of telling people, hi, I can be this and do this for you, um, I decided to start my own blog and not just a blog, but an online pers persona in the form of my blog that I started, which is Media Girl Chronicles. And the most, um, well, the thing that inspired me to do this the most is when I go to a job, instead of telling you I can manage a social media account or I can edit a video, Rather, I show you and you actually see that I can do this because I was also aware that a lot of young people out of pressure to get jobs tend to lie about the things that they can do. Um, and that, that prejudices everyone else now going into a job interview because they just assume you're all lying. So I was like, okay, I have this thing that I can show you. But it kind of gained this runaway traction where it became something that people turned to for entertainment news. And then it also made PR practitioners take notice of me and my work and what I could do and the kind of um, platform I could build with access to people without belonging to any kind of individual publication. Um, but at work, it now became this weird misinterpreted accusation that I was trying to become an influencer, which it wasn't. And yeah. I had to sort the thing out. So it's very surprising for me for, to hear Fika say that other publications will say to you, it's fine for you to be that kind of person online because it's been not mine personally. Oh, okay. But no. other, other places say that because that's not the experience that I've had. And I'm not even trying to be an influencer. I'm literally just trying to show people what I can do mm. and just building 
a platform that has access, sorry, someone outside has now decided to listen to the loudest music ever. Um, but to have that access to people, to show people that this is what I can do, because like Afika said, it's beneficial to have these things and to be able to show brands these things, because contrary to what people believe, we're not in this for like the free events and the gift bags. Those things are great, mm-hmm. but after you've been getting them for like 10 years, eh, you know, I'm still... And they're also just a fraction of the work you do. Like, they're just a small... It doesn't make up the whole job. Um, Yeah, so just to add on to exactly what you're saying about having had your own um, media platform outside of your work, about work that it comes across somehow. So that's also been what I've been wary of as well, where I don't want to build too much of a big brand of myself personally because then it does come across to your employers as though you're trying to overstep and you're trying to nick for personal gain um yeah so i've been aware of that because last year even i was approached by a brand manager of a skin care thing and they had just been stalking my instagram and they said they just like the way it's set up i don't even have a big following it's very standard but they were just like they just like the sincerity of the page and the just the aesthetic of it the cleanliness of it so they wanted me to be one of their skin ambassadors so i obviously have to you know we have to declare these things and they said no because now it's going to compromise your credibility as our beauty editor because now it's going to look like you're biased towards this brand um, even though I myself as Afiga know, I would never just now in every skin article I do, I'm just putting, plugging this brand. I would never do that. But um, I think there's that weariness where they have to sort of curb anything in case, you know, you create a slippery slope where now the next beauty editor would be an ambassador of something and they end up plugging the brand they're an ambassador for. So you, I had to decline that. So it's also that thing where you have to think about your credibility as well, given that you are at the end of the day commissioned by a bigger publication that's bigger than yourself. Um, so yeah, that's why as well, I'm wary of building too much of a big brand of my personal social media. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. And it's so interesting to to hear it from your perspective, because I was just about to ask you, um, you know, if it's encouraged, like, you know, by, by sort of the publications that you work for. And it's, and it's interesting how sort of they think of it as competition, or, um, you know, as, as something that's compromising. Um, while, you know, you hear from other publications that they encourage it, because what they do sometimes is that they, um, they'll take a cut from it. So let's say if you're the editor of Glamour and, you know, the skincare brand says that they want that editor to sort of join um, a campaign and influence for it. So what the publication will do is that they're like, they'll give it the go ahead, but they'll take some sort of commission from that. So it's, it's just interesting to hear how like the different publications do it and how they view it. Um, but what I also wanted to find out is um, if PR practi- practitioners are sort of aiding, you know, the way that you guys work or hindering it, or is it a bit of both? In my case, it's a bit of both. Sorry to interrupt. Um, for the most part, they help. But on the, on, the, on the flip side, it can be a bit hindering to your work because 
there are those who have expectations of things you never even promised, which you wouldn't because you know how you're supposed to conduct yourself in your work. And even worse, there can be those who now want to throw tantrums. And if you don't work for yourself, would try and go above your head to, to, to get at you. Um, so in that aspect, they can hinder your work because not only are you now ruining the relationship, but you're leaving a sour taste in the mouth of my employers to the brand where they now don't want to work with or give your clients coverage because of how you've shown yourself to conduct yourself. Mm. So in that particular aspect, they do hinder. And in the aspect of honestly trying too hard to do your job to the point where you 100% want to control the narrative and the kind of coverage you'll be getting makes it hard for me to do my job because as much as we work together, we're not always necessarily working towards the same goal. So I can't 100% put my hand in yours and do exactly what it is you want me to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was saying they mostly do aid it because I think a lot of the time they do help in terms of, well, for me, because of fashion and beauty, they help so much with like product recommendation, which is something without any press info can take you your whole day. So without your writing, because you have to go to individually each store. Now I'm looking at Zara, I'm looking at Mr. Price, I'm looking across at G-Star, I'm looking at every single brand and um, it's, it's a time saver for me to be able to get product recommendations and to have that hand in hand with the PR practitioner for various brands, for every respective brand. That helps me a lot. But again, to echo um, Kay, um, it does hinder the relationship when you do want to dictate the narrative of the story and you want to tell me how to do it. You want me to tweak it according to your way because also at the end of the day, every publication has a different style as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes also just can't now say I'm you know I'm gonna write about this particular brand and the article is only about you you have to understand that now that's advertising that's something you have to pay for now it's a conversation for our marketing side it's not for me so if you want that then do that so for them sometimes they don't understand that in order for me to give you coverage you have to share it with someone else because it's not paid um but in as much as that, it's still giving you coverage regardless. And sometimes they want to dictate that narrative and they want to, you know, go over your head. And that does leave a sour taste in your mind because the next time now I'm hearing from you, I'm going to be like, oh no, is this going to go well? Mm -hmm. You know? Okay. That's, that's interesting as well. Um, on a lighter note, what is the best press drop press release or event that you've gone for? Um, that you've received or that you've gone to for a brand? Okay, you can go first. That's a hard, difficult <laughs> one. Okay. Um, three. Let's but I'll, I'll, base it, I'll base it on some different criteria. Okay. So for me, the first would be the trip I took to the Seychelles last year. Um, that was just to, to, to basically give the South African traveler some insight into the fact that flights to the Seychelles are now cheaper, whereas they'd always been perceived to be expensive. And that a holiday to the Seychelles is not as expensive as most people would assume, because previously it was assumed that you needed just like 50 grand for a holiday, which for holiday goers doesn't sound like much, but for the average young South African like myself and you, saving up 50,000 rand, whereas you can go to Thailand for like 14, mm. you know, you're going to go for the cheaper one. So 
that experience for me, not just because I got to travel, but because of what I enjoyed and the things it introduced me to. Like, I never thought of hiking as something I'd enjoy before actually taking this trip. Um, I was going to an island nation. I didn't think hiking was a thing that they had going on there. I experienced a new type of people and it was just an enjoyable experience. And even in dealing with the publicists, it wasn't a controlling of the narrative of how you're going to present this place. They just gave you as much information as possible to decide how you were going to package the story. So in terms of the dealing with the publicity side of it and the experience, that for me was very nice. Um, Another one I enjoyed actually was Bonang's House of BNG launch. Um, so much mostly <laughs> because of how I mean, and I guess that's just a personal thing of the things I enjoy. You know, the the theme was an afternoon in the Hamptons. Mm. In dealing with the publicity team again, it wasn't a controlling of the narrative. It was you have free reign to do whatever it is you'd like to do. Being hosted by both Bonang and the PR, it was a relaxed experience. You didn't feel like, oh, you're there as the media. From from the food to the other guests, that for me was also just another enjoyable experience, both on the experience side and the PR side. And lastly, hmm, I'd like to include a music one, but one doesn't <laughs> spring to mind immediately. So I'll hand over to Afika. Um, okay, so for me, it's hard to pinpoint just one, but I will say those um, Samsung events in 2018, where they flew us over, well, there were two, I went to two, yeah, they flew us over, and um, well, at the time, I was based in Cape Town, and the events were here in Joburg, mm-hmm. flew us over, picked up at the airport, you know, in like uh luxury like Merc SUV um, and then stayed over at the hotel so it's like all expenses paid you experience the phone at the event and you take the phone home um, that no one else has yet in the country because um, I, I like being exclusive sometimes I was like oh my gosh one of the first to have this in the country um, so I used that phone for a while but um, obviously um, you have to declare those things again so um, I mean I didn't keep it forever um, it was nice um, to be treated to that where you're not only experiencing a new product but the, the experience is like all-inclusive flights travel um, you know accommodation that sort of thing um, and then um, yeah, any press trip actually where I'm flown and picked up at the airport by a chauffeur where I get there, they have my name. I feel really important. I feel like I'm yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really love that. Um, there was one earlier this year before COVID, it was a fragrance launch. Um, this French fragrance, um, it's Berdouet, um Grand Cruise. Um, so they just took us through the fragrance journey and the actual perfumer from France was here. And she was just explaining how they create the fragrance. And it was just very few of us. Um, it was literally just media, actually. It was one of the first few events that I've been to where it's just media. So no influencers, no bloggers, just media. And... Um, This is not shade at all, but the event was so calm. It was such genuine energy because it was just media. Like, because I think we all have the same objective where we wanted to immerse ourselves in the experience. 
and we took the pictures, but we were also engaging with each other and we were taking pictures of the surroundings. So was at a beautiful wine farm, um, Stiernberg in Cape Town. Um, so that was nice because um, ever since I moved to Joburg, um, I've attended events and it feels like you, you feel invisible. So that's actually another grievance I have with um, um, PR practitioners in Cape Town versus Joburg. Um, in Cape Town, as media, you're valued, you're important, they want you there, they're happy that you're there, they look after you when you're there. In Joburg, if you're media, you come after the celebrity, you come after the influencer, and they're just like, oh, cute media is also here, great, we'll email them tomorrow to ask for the story. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, when you were at the event, you were an afterthought, you know? Um, so that event, it reminded me that PR practitioners still need to value media. Um, the one in Cape Town where it was just media and, you know, we were very well catered for. Um, I remember that that's something Joburg PR practitioners are lacking in the sense that if you're media, you, you come way after the fact that they had their influences there, they had their celebrities there. Um, so yeah, for me, that's why I'm saying I enjoy an event where you're looked after. It was the same last year. I really enjoyed the Moet um, Grand Day party. Um, of course, it was star-studded still, but the fact that um, their PR, the Moet PR, ha has such a good relationship with their media people that even when I arrived there, they spotted me before I spotted them, and they grabbed me, welcomed me with a drink that I could have easily gone to the bar for, but just that extra you know, that extra way, you, the PR person went and grabbed your drink for you to welcome you to the party. I think for me, it's small things like that that can make a difference for me at an event um, where the hospitality is very, very like top tier, you know, where you don't feel like barrel, where you don't feel like they were just there because you're going to give them a story or an Instagram story the next day. Um, yeah, so my favorite press pack, or oh, I get stuff like, I get a lot of stuff, but I do like it when I get sneakers. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, oh, you're. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just like, she gets sneakers. My goodness, I have to level my game up. But. <laughs> right for fashion. I'm actually grateful for the stuff that I do get because I've also just noticed like sometimes I just look around my apartment and like, all the stuff in here is press pack stuff and and not just little silly things it's like actual useful things that you go on to use long after you've done covering the story and you know at work there's that thing where you have to declare things of a certain value so most of the stuff that I keep isn't even like the company broke an arm and a leg to give this thing to me but it's a memento that just builds that interesting brand relationship. And it's a memento that just sits there, which can often often remind you to just check up on what the brand is doing now. Mm. Who are what celebrities are they working with? What's next? What like what are they doing that's at the forefront of the trends that you've 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 noticed? And that's how those relationships can live on and go forward through little mundane things like that. That's so, I've never actually thought about it that way. That's very interesting. It's like often I'm like starting to become like an advocate of sort of like letting go of the press drop, like from a PR perspective, because I worked at an agency where their go-to, their default move is a press drop. And I'm just like, 
surely there are other ways to engage um, journalists and writers and, and other ways to get coverage other than a press shop every time. And it was getting to the point where like the people that were sending press shops to, so it was media and influencers, they were sort of just like, oh, another one, you know? Um, but I think that you mentioned um, that it's something that you can sort of see maybe months and maybe a year or two down, like down the line and can make you think of that brand and sort of peak, uh, you know, a new interest. I've never thought about it like that. Um, but in closing, I'm going to ask you guys one more question. Um, so besides the boundaries, um, and Afika, you've mentioned, um, the, the neglect in Johannesburg, what do you think, um, is one thing that PR professionals, professionals need to, um, sort of take on board into when approaching writers and approaching journalists from, from different publications and even independent writers. I'm not sure because I don't, I don't have any example of an approach that to me felt like it wasn't the correct way to go. Most of my relationships are initiated either through an email conversation, which I find to be very professional, or through coming up to me at an event because you're familiar with my work. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I wouldn't advocate for anything different, but I would say more PR practitioners need to do that thing of familiarizing themselves with a specific writer's work because I don't think enough people do do that. Mm -hmm. um, it would be beneficial, like in the same way that we as journalists know that this PR person is who you go to for beauty and if you want to work with Revlon, this PR person handles AKA's PR, you should know that this journalist does this and will handle this treatment well, or this publication is understaffed. Just because I know Kay writes music doesn't mean she can't write beauty and whatever for me because they don't have dedicated people to doing that. So you can't assume that just because you don't know of a person in a publication that doesn't do something, that the publication can't do that for you. And then also just knowing whose um, boundaries lie where in terms of what it is that they can do. So that's gonna be my parting shot. Just familiarize yourself with somebody's work above and beyond the glamorous stuff like the numbers. I mean, if you've seen Afika's Instagram and you like the way it looks and you feel like it could be beneficial, you should be able to advocate enough to your employer to not always have to go with the 30, 40,000 follower count person because that's not always what's going to be beneficial to your brand. Um, and also with, if, if people constantly like influencers specifically constantly work with different things. At some point, I'm just going to lose interest in all the things that they've posted because today they post about makeup, tomorrow they post about soap, the next week they're posting about a floor cleaner. None of those brands are going to stick in my mind. Whereas when I know Sim is about kicks, Sim is about music and this, I can, it's, it's a more credible person to me, whether she's an influencer or a publicist or a journalist or whatever. I just feel like that should be kept top of mind from now on. That's a great one. Afika? Yeah, definitely uh, with what Kay said, where um, you're more likely to pique my interest if I know you specialize in this particular thing. So if you keep giving me 
your influencer every she's doing toothpaste today she's doing a samsung phone tomorrow and today and today and the other day she just did sneakers i'm also going to be like okay this is now you know it's it's overkill give me one direction with this person mm-hmm. um so it's important yeah to just sort of like that's also because that can also really dilute um the 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 brand image of that person even if they they do great with all of the different things they represent but also to media when we receive it we're going to be like this person again Mm. um so um that and also understanding the tone of your publication i find that a lot of the time um some pr practitioners haven't actually spent time on your publication and they know it by name they know this little sort of you know um aspect of it where it's like oh yeah yeah i know they they do fashion sometimes but they don't know how you do the fashion so Mm -hmm. they'll sort of come at you with something and you're like oh that's not how we do things um so i think it's important before you approach us as media understand our approach to covering a story um because sometimes you can tell that they haven't done the homework they haven't spent time on the page they haven't studied your writing as a fika they haven't studied your writing as k um you know so they don't know your style even so even if i were to attend your event and you're expecting me to just cover and say on saturday i was at this launch for a new gym that's not how i cover things that's not how the publication covers things so don't expect me to write it like that i'll find a way to incorporate it if need be if my manager even okay is that because we don't necessarily sometimes just cover things in that sort of sense where we don't say we were at an event it was dope like that's not our approach to things um so yeah it's also understanding how we work and receptive to us collaborating say sometimes even if i read your email i'm like this looks interesting enough let's have a telephone conversation about it where we collaborate and see and decide on an angle that works for both of us um so i think that's very important i think it's nice when a pr practitioner is open to that collaborative conversation where i say okay you know what i'm going to do a feature on how the marketing of alcohol towards women has changed. I see you sending me a Balvedia press release. Let me see how I can give that a mention in terms of how it speaks to women in particular. Because there's also that thing sometimes, because we are strictly women's publications, sometimes you get someone and they're like, oh, we want you to talk about maps, maponyane. Like, mm-hmm. what must I say about it? Like, you know, women, yeah. but that's not what we say you know um so it's also understanding that the brand pillars as well got you 100 i know i said my last question was my last question but this is my last question um because you, you know it, it popped up in my mind as you both were speaking um and it's kind of like a selfish question on my part but um i'd love to know in 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 the understanding of sort of how your different publications work and how you as a journalist and, a, and as a writer work um do you sort of welcome when sort of publicists are like oh let's grab a coffee you know I, or i'm new to this brand and i want to know more about how you write and sort of how you provide coverage um because i i don't know it feels like something that's dying that might need to be sort of like revived when there are one-on-ones between publicists and um journalists and writers um it's dying definitely but i do think it's essential mm. um and it's essential 
for the reason that was just mentioned in the last answer, where we get to know each other as people. We get to know each other as professionals. I know you and your work as a publicist. You know me and my work as a reporter. But then I can also better explain to you in person what is it that our brand does, what our brand pillars are. I can break down for you who our audience is and the kinds of things that they're interested in so it can help you better in your job and your planning. Um, and honestly, once we build that mutual respect for each other, no matter where we go, our careers span how many decades? We're always going to be able to work together and help each other as long as we're able to keep it professional. So I do believe that that's a dying art that needs to be revived. But then again, people just need to remember to respect the boundaries, please. 100%. <laughs> For sure. Um, anything to add? Any parting thoughts before we close? Parting thoughts? Um, a very, I don't even know how to approach this one, but there's, there's, you know, journalists speak amongst themselves mm-hmm. and there's this list of publicists that Ooh. hold very personal grudges over things that aren't professionally related. Mm-hmm. So I, I do believe <laughs> they should stop that number one and clients should be mindful of that because now you're getting hindered for, hindered for coverage because your publicist doesn't like a tweet I sent in 2013 about something that's not even related to work. That, mm-hmm. that I believe, you know, should, should be in the bed. Yeah. I also think, yeah, to add to that, I think publicists should be able to keep the personal personal and keep it out of the work relationship. Um, yeah. Because in the same way as, a writer i may not necessarily be a fan of a certain celebrity for example let me say jennifer lawrence i may not be a fan of hers but if something big around jennifer lawrence is happening i'm not going to be like oh i'm not going to write about her i'm going to write this because it's going to add value to the publication um so i think publishers should exercise that same sort of discernment and to not be like oh yeah that journalist that other year said this on their Instagram story. And it has nothing to do with the work that's happening today. Um, so I think, yeah, things must, um, must never be personal in that sense. Got it. Essentially, keep it cute, keep it professional. Um, thank you so, so much, guys. I'm so appreciative of the time that you've given me today. Um, and I really enjoyed what you both had to say. And it was very interesting. I mean, I learned something new even. So um, thank you so much. Thank you.